Hi, this is Pat Blythe, and welcome to Love the Music. Today's date is Tuesday, August 17th, 2021. These are the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. I'm sitting here with blues guitarist Frank Cosentino, who is a member of the Canadian Blues Hall of Fame. Music, particularly the guitar, has been a central part of Frank's life since the age of five. Taken to a Jimi Hendrix concert at Maple Leaf Gardens in 1969 at the extremely young age of seven. I still can't believe that. It was amazing. Frank was both captured and captivated by Hendrix's performance. That performance making an indelible impression on a young boy. Without realizing it at the time, it was a pivotal moment in Frank's life, influencing and transforming his approach to the guitar and his own performances later on. I've had the pleasure of photographing Frank on stage on a number of different occasions and watch him as he enters another realm from the very first note, listening to him bleed the blues. With a collection of over 60 guitars, one is never far from his reach, and he won't hesitate to swap out the electric for the acoustic if the song and the timing are right. Frank is a teacher and an educator and has toured extensively, performing or sharing stages with James Cotton, Johnny Winter, Fathead, Downchild, and Sue Foley, to name just a few. In 1989, he formed the Frank Cosentino Band and with five albums and three European tours, is still going strong over 20 years later. A touring artist, the stage is where he comes alive, sharing his love and passion for music, the guitar, and the blues with his audiences. And welcome to Love the Music, Frank. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. I appreciate you having me and talking about what's been going on with us. And it's great to see you again. It's been a long time. You too. Okay, we're now a year into the pandemic. So by the end of 2019, everybody was planning on what they were going to be doing in 2020, and we all know what happened to that. How were you approaching 2020? What were your plans for last year? Well, 2020 for me, on a personal level, was a big change. I had decided uh, two years, a year and a half before, that it was time for me to change my lifestyle. Um, To make a long story short, it was the best move I ever made. I got sober, so... At that point, I was just sober one year, and I had been approached by Derek Downham, great producer, great friend of mine, about making a record together. Um, he approached me and said, Frank, I, I really think you got something here. I would love to. Would you ever consider making a record? So that excitement happened. I thought, wow, this is really, really starting to take off. Got to remember, for all the years I've been doing this, this was a you know one of those moments where it's like, oh, my gosh. We're going to turn a corner here. Everything was going great. I'd been writing with Derek up and then, then COVID hit. At the time COVID hit, we had booked a hundred and I would imagine almost a hundred, close to 150 dates canceled. So that was it. So we had a new record in the works. I was of a better state of mind physically and mentally and spiritually. Um, I wasn't drowning anymore in a sea of uh, such a cliche of alcohol. But for me, I had, I guess I had lost my way. It's funny how it's the only thing I ever did in my whole life was to make music, play guitar. I've never done anything else. And then suddenly the only thing I ever loved and had passion for that passion disappeared. It seemed that's what I was telling myself. I guess I started self-medicating and, and to be honest with you guys for the first little bit, it worked. Almost three years later, here I sit with you. 
I'm sober. I've never played. My goal in life was to become three things, a better parent, a better musician, and a better friend. Good goal. And I'm still working on them. Mm -hmm. But the musician part of it really started to come through when suddenly I started seeing more bums in the seats at clubs. And slowly but surely, it started to happen again. And I went, wow, this sobriety thing, I like this. People come to see me play, and they stay, and they enjoy it. And here I am. I'm writing better. I'm playing better. Um, um, so what's 2020 been like for you? You've been able I got, is, I got maybe a calming year yes, just to yes. take stock? What happened was I knew that the second stage of my transition, for lack mm. of better words, was, okay, now it's try to get yourself physically healthy. My mental state was a lot better. The clarity was unbelievable. That was something I had forgotten about, mental clarity. Waking up and you're clear, you're not foggy, you're on stage, you know exactly what's happening. Whereas before, I'd know what was happening on the first beat, and then I'd lose track of time for 45 minutes. I would get into the zone, and they would tell me, um, it's time for a break, Frank. I would lose my track of time on stage, where 45 minutes didn't feel like 45 minutes anymore, right? It started to affect everything. But when I started noticing, you know, I'm, something must be happening that I'm doing wrong because suddenly I'm not getting, you know, I just got inducted into the American Blues Hall of Fame. How come I can't find work? Because I was a drunk. That's why. And that's as simple as that. That big, that was a big eye opener in 2020 for me. So I decided, okay, I'm going to utilize this time to try to write my strongest stuff. Everything's strong. I have records coming out of my yin yang. And you know what? They were great for the time, but most of them, in my opinion, were weak in songs. I just wasn't all there. And things have really changed for me now. Like, I really am in a better place spiritually, musically. The advancements I've made in my personal, in the art of playing itself, are things I could have never imagined just two years ago. Why? When your brain is cloudy, you can't, oh, I'll do that next week. I'll work on it next week. That song ending, let's work on it next week. Well, Next week kept kept going to the next week to the next week, and the next thing I know, I'm sitting at home by myself wondering why I got no music out there and nobody's hiring me. Well, there you go. Again, I had to make myself accountable for my actions, and it was one of the toughest things I ever just, I ever had to do, but it was the best move I ever made. Again, I'm a musician. I'm a parent too, mm -hmm. and um, and I was just talking with you know with John here and that, and we were saying how. You know, for me, I'm always, I'm a musician, but I'm always a parent first. So I started thinking in this sense, okay, as a parent, how would I want my children to see me? You know, like I remember daddy was, couldn't show up sometimes because I wasn't feeling good that morning. I had five straight nights of work, but that morning I wasn't feeling good. So things had to change and it really worked out. So musically, uh, family wise, you know, um, on top of that, keeping friends who are in the business, my colleagues, who I've had to talk through phone conversations three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. You know, we've lost a lot of great friends over we've the lost last a lot year. Of, yeah, you Gunther know, being a one of my one. oldest friends for yeah. thirty years. Um, never yeah, saw that, that coming. Hit. You know, uh, nobody did. Nobody saw that. With coming. Gunther's passing, with Gunther's passing, for me, unfortunately, it was the twenty-second person in one year. Yeah. Half of them were from COVID. Half of them were musicians. The other half were were lifelong friends I grew up with. You know, so it's it's been a rough one. So, in the past year, you said you were writing. 
Absolutely. So has, so has your focus, uh, has your approach to writing changed or the direction of your writing changed at all? Because of the, the the clarity, my confidence level has come up a lot more again. Back to where I think I should, where I think as an artist, I should be not being afraid to try new things. And that's where it's taken me. Where now I'm working, I'm working with songs or I'm writing songs in a little more soulful kind of soul kind of feel as opposed to the drastic Hendrix Stevie Ray blues I'm known for that, you know, guitar oriented yep. blues. And I know there's a market. It's the vocal stuff that I never concentrated on. Now that I'm now that I've got more control on my voice, I realize, holy smokes, I can actually do this. Before it was just I always considered myself a belter. I'm not a singer. I never was a singer, never claimed to be a singer. I'm a belter. It just came out. But now as my head is clearer, I'm noticing that I'm more I can hear things and the diction and the way I sing and the way I'm I'm phrasing stuff is going to places I never would have done before. Do you think the whole thing, the whole pandemic, isolation, the whole ambiance of it is affecting? Absolutely. There's no there, listen, there's no way to get around it. No matter what master you serve, we've all been affected somehow by this, you know. And most important I think for me, I've been asked this forever. What is it about, what is it for you as a musician, Frank? And I think, and I was telling, you know, I talked to John about this and a few other people over the weeks, and that's losing that that creative outlet of live playing. There are some of us who shine in the studio. Many of us shine in the live situation, as you said earlier in your introduction, right? Some of the best players I've ever seen are the guys in our backyard right now. Those are the guys that are out there doing it six, seven days a week. You won't know them, but I'll tell you something. When you walk into a club, they're going to blow you out of the water. The majority, the the people that we see, I've always said Canadian music, just look in your own backyard. We have some of the greatest music. We can stand toe-to-toe with anybody in the world in the music. Look what we've sent south of the 49th Hello. parallel. Hello. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We've got some great talent up here. How are you coping personally with the pandemic itself? I learned right away that for me, I had to put music aside and it was time to look after my family. That's how I coped with it. It was important that, um, okay, I can't, I'm not allowed to make music right now and I understand why and we should all understand why. Um, it doesn't make it any easier, but I realized at this point, this is a time for all of us, no matter what you do, is to look after your family. So I spent a lot of time with my elderly parents. Um, helping them, you know, get through this. Um, our goal was to get them through this um, as friends of mine's parents were dying all around us from COVID, right? right? So uh, family, family's what got me through, my children and my immediate family. And I mean, look what just happened when I just sitting here catching up with this guy here. Look what happened. It was like nothing changed. It was like I haven't seen him in over a year, but nothing's changed. It's like we're... It was like yesterday, right? That's the thing I miss. Yeah. And this guy, by the way, folks, is John Jameson, who is my engineer in the sound booth. And one of the mo- one With of the scariest beautiful wife, key- Cindy. And one of the scariest keyboard players I've ever heard. The you guy bet. just tinkled a few notes in there and just changed the whole atmosphere in the room. He's a great tinkler. <laughs> 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 okay.
Okay, we've all been pretty much isolated for a year. And, of course, the first thing that happened was the the streaming bit and the virtual collaborations. People were in the middle of starting to record stuff or or woodshedding in studios. Do you think the whole pandemic isolation thing has encouraged collaboration? Absolutely. I see. I believe... Musicians have an ins- ever has this, this constant need. We all have it, and that's creating with other players. I tell students when I do clinics and tutorials for students that listen, playing with a backing track is okay, but there's a there's a a thing that happens, a synergy that happens with other players that you can't learn out of a book that really no one can teach you to do. You have to sit in the room, literally throw yourself in the pool, and make it work. And that's the idea is we as artists, at least me personally, and I know everyone else that I've ever worked with, the idea of collaborating with someone else is always an exciting. But how about virtually? How are you finding that? Because to me, there would be a big difference between having somebody sitting behind that drum set and collaborating or through a tiny screen. It's funny that you mentioned that. In that sense, everything's changed. Because you know what? Yeah. When I when when this thing all took, took off and I couldn't teach because I don't know if... if Wherever I tour, we set up a place wherever in the town, the big city or the city or the town I'm playing in, the big music store, I always schedule a a two-hour free clinic for anyone who wants to come. I did it through Europe. I did it through um, when we were in England, you know, every place we've ever played. So to be able to do that and, uh, you know, to showcase and to show these kids, you know, specifically – this is the way it is. It's not like you see on TV. It's nothing like that at all. And that's the big misconception. The young kids see Stevie Ray Vaughan and everyone. What they don't see is the nine-hour drive Stevie took to get to or the flight they took. You know what I mean? They don't see all that. And that's the part of the teaching when you come to take le- – when I teach lessons. That's another part. If you're a serious musician, I'm going to talk to you about the other aspects next to the physicality of playing the guitar. There's other things involved with it that you have to take serious account for if you're really serious about being a musician. Because let's face it, you don't get to the sugar until you cut some cane, right? You got to work it, whether it's your guitar craft, whatever instrument you're playing, your songwriting, whether you're a sculptor, whether you're a dancer, you got to work at it. But the point is, is putting yourself into the process and doing collaborating getting back to what you were saying it only made sense that that uh, players from different parts of the city would want to get together to collaborate it's the first time i think a lot of us had the chance to do that because mm-hmm. our schedules wouldn't allow oh fuck i can't i can't do that gig i can't do that get together with you frank i got a gig you know it, yep now we have the time an original song from his 2015 album straight no chaser here's close your window baby by frank cosentino Close your window, baby. Going out that door. Close your window. 
To the pandemic interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. The song you just heard was Close Your Window Baby by Frank Cosentino. I had the pleasure of chatting with Frank just a few months ago on March 20th, 2021. Now you're teaching as well. I am. You teach guitar. How are you finding teaching? Because I have, I've talked to a couple of other people who are also educators. Absolutely. How are you, how are you finding teaching virtually? After 30 years of one-on-one, when I was approached about teaching online, it was all new to me. I thought, how hard, hun, could it be? I just do my same thing, just turn on the camera. Well, guess what? Within the first hour of the first day, I realized, oh my God, this is not going to work. Mm. What happened was the first thing from a technical standpoint, when it comes to teaching, there's a, um, a what do you call it, a lag? There's but, a delay. A delay, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So I'm a big advocate of playing as much with the student as possible that couldn't work anymore where we play together that would be a little tough because what had happened was john you can understand this suddenly guitars over over your uh the internet or over say zoom or whatever suddenly sound like really badly over t- uh, um out of tune 12 strings am i right it's six damn strings and as soon as you play it over line <laughs> and as soon as you play it online it sounds like an out of tune 12 string yeah, so there were some technical uh, aspects that I had to change when it came to teaching because a lot of times teachers, especially with guitar, are hands-on. No, put your finger here. No, put your finger there, specifically with the beginning students. You just want to place them. So there's a lot of that going on. And you'd be surprised when it first starts, when you first start learning, a guitar, learning on guitar, how hard it is for a student to take that third finger and place it on a string. Or the second finger. So that's the one thing I have to do is literally physically put them there. Once they got it, it's like learning to ride a bike. They don't forget it. But I do have to do that. Can't do it through a screen. Can't do it. You can't, right? So, But again, my goal was always been is if I can, this is my life. I spent my whole life doing this. And when it's my time to go, and again, like I jokingly say, I don't want to go for a long time, I hope. But when it is, I want to know that in some small way, I help this art that I've dedicated my whole life to move forward and grow just a little bit. 
So yeah. how are you finding the teaching now? Because you, you're doing it pretty much five, six days a week. Five days a week right now. And I'll tell you, it started off slow. And then suddenly when the shutdowns, the majority of my students are professional musicians. Okay. But suddenly I got busy with, and I don't normally do this, but because of the circumstances, I took it. Um, with younger students who mom and dad, I know this. Oh my God, I got the kids at home for the whole day. I need to, what are they going to do after four or three o'clock, right? I got to do something with them. So guitar lessons. I mean, I talked to some students, guys, that after my guitar lesson, this is they've done school all day online. After my guitar lesson, they're doing a camp lesson online or a something, a, a like, so everything's on there, right? Yep. So I have gotten, to answer your question, I have gotten busy with lessons. Um, again, I had to alter my lessons because after a while I stopped teaching beginners. Uh, not for any reason except it just turned out that a lot of musicians were coming and it ended up where suddenly that's all that was coming to me. And I'm happy about that. I mean, it's great, but I'm open to teach anybody. So that's why this came in. And I got to tell you, it turned into a lot of fun. And on that note, live performance. Live performance is the key to the development of new artists. Absolutely. But it's also key to the continuing development of artists. And it doesn't really matter how long you've been in the business and how long you've been playing and touring. What do you think, and here's the bonus question, what do you think the future of live music is going to look like when we come out of this? We're going to see. How do we keep live alive? I don't think it's ever going away. I believe that 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 experience is something that's so ingrained in us. I heard someone say earlier, one of my students, one of my adult students said to me, Frank, get ready. We're about to see the second wave of the Roaring Twenties. Now, how I see it is this. When we open, when we finally open up, there's going to be a mass exodus to the clubs. It's going to be insane for a while. And then it's going to settle down, and I think we're just going to fall right back into it. Sure, there's going to be, we have different protocols to worry about now. Um, the distancing, I don't think that's ever going to stop. You know, within reason, I believe, I believe, but at this point, I think that experience of going out, getting dressed up, having a shower, getting dressed up, driving to a club, driving to a few clubs, going to see that whole experience, I think is something that we don't want to lose. It's part of our culture. Next to it being a heck of a lot of fun, it really is um, the the breeding ground for the new people, too. How? I'll explain. I bring my little cousin, who happens to be playing guitar on the side, and somebody on stage happens to be the light that switches on for him, right? For me, it was... Um, Jimi Hendrix. It was Hendrix. But I'll tell you, in Toronto, Jimi Hendrix was a big star, and he was someone way away from me. It was me. an imprint, but you were too young to understand. But when I did see Dominic Triano for the first time, oh my God, I realized he was standing from me to there on the stage, and I realized this guy's making those sounds that I'm hearing from those records that are coming out of England and the United States. And he's from Toronto? How can this be? Suddenly there was proof to me that he was the start of it. And then there was a whole bunch of other bands that I went, Jesus. Because back in the day when I was starting out, it wasn't unusual for people in the business to tell you, so you want to be a musician? 
you need to go to the States, Frank. Don't even waste your time here in Canada. That bothered me from the moment I heard that. What do you mean? I'm a proud Canadian. I got to go to the States. Guys like Triano. When I was growing up, uh, Steve Shelsky and Coney Hatch showed me some ropes. Uh, they were a big band at the time. Yeah, Kim Mitchell's one of my oldest friends. He helped me out. All these guys that I ran into. Look, look, hey, great example. In 1977, the Canadian World Music Festival in CNE Grandstand, it was an all-day festival, and the opening act was Moxie and Gatto. I just saw these guys at the Gasworks the week before, and there they are in front of whatever it was, 30,000 people at the CNE Grandstand. And now, you know, I'm talking with Greg, like Greg and I are best friends now. For me to ever have considered that guy who's a big hero of mine is now like one of my closest friends that's what music did for me it introduced me to people that i would have never took me to places that i would never have gone uh my god i toured europe three times i've never i would have never been to poland england uh you know belgium i never would have been there because of the instrument because of guitar and so the point is i want more of that we all want more of that so i don't think it's going anywhere it's going to be very different but that that exa- that experience again. I use the analogy of remember the experience of buying records. Well, since I can't do that anymore, like I used to, I buy books now. I like opening books. I like the smell. I like that whole experience. Same with the live situation. That experience, hun. We're gonna get dressed and we're gonna go see the Seeger Band. We're gonna go see Cause or we're gonna go see Wild Tea and the Spirit or whoever it might be. That whole experience. Driving down, you're all excited, you get there, you see all your friends. It's that that whole social aspect of it. And on top of that, it's the music. God. We're all here for one reason, to listen to the music. And that's what it's all about for me. At the end of the day, I'm a big supporter of all my friends and my colleagues in music and even friends that even people I don't even know I go support because at the end of the day it soothes me it soothes my soul that's what music does now what do you think about I mean a lot of acts right now are turning to live streaming and some of the live streams are becoming very professional the horseshoes putting on See, a, a whole thing and that kills guys like us like me right here I go sure you know I, I'm really proud of the American Blues Hall of Fame thing and all that that's a real you know but at the end of the day in my situation, I have no Junos. I have no awards in that sense. I have no Mer- no Canadian or what do you call it, Maple Blues Awards, and I'm okay with that. But in the situation now, with that kind of thing, that leaves me. Who's going to, okay, put it to you this way. Al McCombell does, and they're doing great work. Don't get me wrong. It's not a slug, a slug to anybody. Al McCombell does this high-end stream thing. Frank Cosentino is going to be live on Facebook. Where are you going first? Come on, let's be realistic. That big production is going to catch your eye before me. And that's the problem with that. If they would have kept a grassroots, then suddenly it's interesting to see someone who's a bigger star in their basement doing something grassroots. To me, that's more interesting than to see, you know, now everybody's got the lights on them for Zoom and that. Come on, the renting theaters and stuff. Exactly. So, but do I think? I think it's the way of the future, but it's not the only way. I still think live's important, but there will be people in two years down the road will still have a problem going out in public. We both know that. So there's that market that's going to open up. So a mix of both. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And on top of that. 
Uh, Pat, you know what, hon? I don't feel like going out tonight, uh, but I feel like listening to some music. Uh, what's live streaming today? You're sitting in your house, right? So, yeah, there is a market for that. At least I think so. That's real, That's actually really interesting. It's the first time that somebody sort of put the two together, live and live stream. Uh, some of the fears that have been uh, expressed is that kids your daughter's age, for instance, she's around 15. Yeah. They, they're they too young to be going to the clubs to have been exposed to what we've been exposed to. Yeah. So their exposure is all through, you know, their iPad or their phone or whatever. So in two or three years' time when the clubs are really, and I, you know, say this with fingers crossed, yes, of course. Are, are really thriving again. Are those people who are those kids who have never experienced it really going to be going out to the clubs? Or are they going to still be glued to those phones and 15 inch monitors <sighs> and saying, well, point. what's the point? Listen, I can see this here. Why do I need to go to the club and pay, you know, 20 bucks at the door to go and see them? I think because the experience was so important to me to be pulled to a club from with some friends to take me to a club to actually see a live band. That was so important in my in my life that that experience that I think once the 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 new younger uh, uh younger new adults that are coming in are taken to a club and experienced it, I think you're hooked. I know for me, the moment I walked into the club, the, my first time, the smell, the excitement in the room, the lights as they were checking sound before the show. So I remember fun. it was Larry's Hideaway. And it was, come on, guys, we know Larry's Hideaway was the biggest dump in the world. But there was a vibe. You walked in. There was an excitement in the room when you walked in. It was alive. In. It was live. It was You'd walk alive, around yeah. and there was all little stories happening all around the room. And the beauty of it was, and this is where the social part is, by the time you left the night, that club... You knew exactly what everybody's story was in the room because you did the the mingle for the four hours, right? Oh, what do you mean, Joe and Joe, Joe, Joe and Bob broke up? What do you, you know, what do you mean he quit his band and started another? It all, you know, that's how we socialized, and that's how everybody started to connect. Was in the clubs, Absolutely. all the musicians and audience members. It was a real, it was a really, it was fabulous. Um, and festivals. I mean, um, uh, I have lost my festivals again this year because I usually do a Mariposa Summer yeah. Folk and a whole bunch of them. Um, festivals are also a good place to take kids, especially something like those, because they're geared for families. Yes. So it exposes them to live music as well. So do you think 2020 is going to be a career killer, particularly for those musicians who are not that well established? If they let it. Listen. We've been through this. We've been through a lot worse, and we've come out the other side. Listen, we don't get – I didn't get into this. We all got into this for the love of music. And if someone tells you they got into this for any other reason, they're lying to you, okay? And the thing is, is I never got into this to get rich. Hell, I'm not rich, and I never expect to get rich, and that's okay. I'm in it because I love the music. I'm passionate about what I do, um, and – I never make excuses for what I do. You either like what I do. This was a big thing for me, was making peace that I can't make everybody happy. That was a tough one for me. I used to stress, um, Craig Godovich said something to me the other day. We were talking and he says, you know why you stress a lot, Frank? It's because you give a damn. And I thought about that and I just went, fuck, he's right. Because I care. I say this to everybody. I just told this to John too. And that was... If you're going to come and spend your hard-earned money and spend a few hours to come and see me play, I owe it to you to, to give you the best thing, the best show I can get, right? The fact that you're honoring me and that's how I see it, 
with your time for four hours to come and see me play, you can be sure I'm going to come over and talk to you between sets whether you know me or not. Because I appreciate it. You're, without you guys, we're nothing. It's just that simple. I don't care how big of a rock star you are. You got no fans. You're not a rock star. And people forget, lose sight of that. More now than ever. More now than ever. You can't be a rock star when you're a club, when you're a saloon singer like I am. People who start thinking they're rock stars, last thing they're going to see is their audience is back of their heads walking out of the room. You can't do that. You can't. So do you think this is a good time now to plan and prepare? For the future and for Absolutely. those young artists to be, you know, have whatever ready they need to get ready. I'll tell you who's going to survive. Open. I'll tell you who's going to survive. It's the ones that have stuck it out from the start. The lifers. The younger, there'll be some younger ones who will see the light and will jump on the train and stick it out. That's those who you said, are there going to be career killers? They'll be career killers because those those artists let it happen to them. It's just that simple. The crap I've gone through in my life and all musicians have gone through in their lives, it's part and parcel of the jo- of the business. What we've been through already, we got this, man. We got this. I believe so. I believe it because that's what's kept musicians alive and functioning is never giving up hope. It's just that simple because there's nothing else in music. There isn't. You got to believe in yourself because no one else does for the first longest time. Another original, Six Bullets, again off Frank's 2015 album, Straight, No Chaser. Go ahead. Stop me from looking like a gun I'm gonna put six bullets in a Six bullets for 
Welcome back to the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. The song you just heard, Six Bullets, is also from the album Straight No Chaser by Frank Cosentino. I had the pleasure of chatting with Frank just a few months ago on March 20th, 2021. Do you think that, um, and this is a real wild card question, do you think anybody could have possibly been even remotely prepared for something like Absolutely this, a whole not. wall coming down. Absolutely, because we keep not. putting Absolutely. things off. It's like it's like you said earlier. Well, we'll do that next week. We'll do that next yeah. week. We'll do that next week. And you know, so you've lost all that time, and all of a sudden, you can't do it anymore. We gotta. You know what? I just believe that right now, at this point, because we gotta listen to what's happening scientifically. We can't be listening to crap that's going on out there. There are people dying, so it's important that we understand why we've been locked down and why we can't work right now. So we've had a year to sort of pause and reflect. So do you think that artists are now maybe rethinking their approach to uh, their music, um, stepping outside the box, maybe experimenting a little bit more, taking more risks? And in some cases, instead of taking days, months, weeks to um, do the perfect album or a perfect song, maybe starting to keep things a little simpler. I think that with this, the way it's been going around lately is I think you're going to have two kinds of artists that ha- or, or two things that happen to artists. One, they were so overwhelmed that I know some who they're paralyzed. They're not doing anything. Then there are the others. I was that. And on June, on June 1st of last year, I decided I needed to start getting exercise so I'm, you know, I'm doing five miles a day that helped me with my brain and the exercise so there are two kinds of people that are that this has happened the ones that were again so overwhelmed they haven't picked up their instrument in days or months or whatever then the other ones who said screw it i'm gonna better myself so i believe it's really in the artist's hands um and i and i'm not gonna say to you i'm i'm walking that tightrope right now personally where it's like okay i'm practicing but it's not live and I'm singing, but it's not live. You know, it's that weird tightrope you walk as an artist. And again, why am I giving such a, why am I making such a big deal about it? I just care about what I do. Um, it's been a rough road. So whatever ground I've, I've gotten over the years, I want to keep it. I fucked up. I messed up years ago with, you know, living like a rock star. Everybody has. It's not a unique situation. Yeah, it's just still, you know what? For me, it's still, it's a shameful time in my life. Um, uh, I'm not, And I don't regret it. I don't, anything like that. I needed to get there to get to where I am now. I think to turn it around rather than thinking anything like that is shameful is more of, it's a lesson learned. Absolutely. It's a learning experience. Absolutely. And we all make mistakes. Um, nobody is immune to that at all. And I know this doesn't make sense, but I have a tough time swallowing all those wasted years. But a key point to that is you wouldn't be where you are now if Absolutely. you hadn't gone through those and years. And that's what keeps me straight up, yep. looking forward and waking up every morning with yep. a smile. So do you think artists in general, musicians, gig economy, however you want to approach it, um, can adapt and change to situations like the pandemic because of their creativity? It's easier for them? It would, I would imagine for an, for the artists, because the artists, the whole attitude of an artist is to make what's comfortable, what uncomfortable, comfortable. Right. Right. So yeah, I think an artist, if, if there's, if anyone 
would be the most adaptable for this. We have to change. I'll give you a quick example. How many times have you showed up to a gig? Oh, uh, we there's we've we've forgotten there's a kick drum that's not didn't show up or something didn't show up a, a guitar amp or something and you have to adapt why because that freaking club owner wants you on at 9 30 and you're you're 200 miles away from home you better get on stage so you have to adapt and at the end of the day remember you can't go to a club owner or say uh we can't do the show tonight can we do it tomorrow to when our equipment shows up yeah that doesn't happen. You get on stage or you pack your shit up and you get out of there. It's just that simple. So um, specifically now where we're, it's such a tough time, club owners, at least in my, and hall owners that I play, aren't putting up with anything. If you're not going to do your job, they're not going to waste their time or their money getting you into their club, especially now. So yeah, yeah there's a lot of pressure on both of us. And we got to remember, it's not just the band, it's the club owner. There is much part of the equation. In my opinion, mm-hmm. that night is three people in the equation. The band, the club owner, and the audience. Without them, nothing can happen. They, need, they all need each other. Absolutely they do. Absolutely. So what do you think it's going to take to get people back into the clubs? Um, Specifically live performances? Live performances. Um, again, I'm hoping that we don't see this, the Roaring Twenties for six months, and then it dies out to where it was, where it used to be. That was shameful that, you know, you would hear in the same day, you would see online, oh, there's no good music in Toronto, yet how many times we go to a club to see a friend and, and there's like four people in the room. Stop bitching, there's no music in Toronto. Go out and see it. I'm not mad at anybody for not going out to see it and all that, but don't bitch. Because it's there. And I don't care what anybody says. You've seen people who follow me online know how important Canadian is to me. We have the best music in the world here in Canada. The best musicians in Canada are those guys that are playing Grossman's every Friday night or whatever every Tuesday night. The guys that only play to four people, five people a night, but they're doing it every night. They'll blow anyone that I know in the big scene away. Right, it's just that simple. It's the guys that are doing it, practice the guys and girls that are practicing it. Yes, keep the women in there. Of too. course, of course. My daughter keeps reminding <laughs> me to do that. Touring, um, a big part of touring, of course, is the live performance. But a lot of where um, the money comes from is merchandise. Merch, yeah. So, what do you think is going to happen with touring and all this selling of merchandise? Well, I think we're going to try probably going right back to having the shirts and the and the the hard copy CDs and all that still on a table by the side of the stage. But I also believe there's going to be options for and if you don't, you can buy this card and you can download. You know that whole thing too. But I think merch will always stay because at this point, until we start getting a fair deal. Like until musicians start getting a proper wage, let's let's be honest here, a proper wage, um, that's going to be a real f- problem, right? With people with a like, we're not getting proper wage. Why? Why is that a problem? Why are we always the last man on the totem pole? Example: I pack a house. Any of us musicians, we pack the house up. Uh, the audience gets with their fill. They've had some money, they listened to some great music, had some beers, maybe some food. The club owner got his fill because he's got a full house. Then at the end of the night, I'm struggling to wonder if I'm going to be able to put gas in my car. What's wrong with this picture? And that leads me to the question and one that I've interviewed both uh, 
John and Cindy about and a number of others is when I started back in the business, I mean, it's 45 years ago, um, little bits and pieces here and there, moved to Toronto, um, and I was working for some booking agencies. And bands, uh, the musicians' union at that time was quite prevalent. Uh, bands had to get a certain wage, and they were, it was more yeah. than, I mean, they could make a living out of it. I know. The bar owners belonged to the union. If it wasn't a union hall, bands didn't play there. The, you know, there was blacklists and the whole nine yards. Now, I segued out of the business and, you, you know, went on to a, a slightly different life. But you come back in, and now we're reduced to the tip charge. So my question is this, is what the hell happened to the union? Why was it? It just disappeared. And yet, I know that musicians today that are in their late 60s and early 70s, they have a pension from the union. They had health coverage from the union back then. They had things that musicians don't have today. In the 80s, when I started out, late 80s, early 90s, we well, we started out getting, um, like, there was we were getting paid five years ago someone pulled a tip jar out at one of my gigs at at the linsmore and put it on the bar on the stage i went what's that oh that's your tip jar i looked at the guys in the band i went what are you talking about tip jar i had no idea what this was right is this something i always got paid and now that tip jar is regular all the time and i just bite my lower lip Right. Uh, I just think it's not right. I think it's not right that, you know. I think it's demeaning, personally. Although this is not my opinion show. This is my interview. I think it's demeaning. I think it's disrespectful to well, the talent that's on stage. I've always said this, and this isn't a I'm – not, I'm not blaming club owner. I'm not blaming anybody. It's just what it is. If the club owner or someone who owns the business treated any of their other businesses that they deal with – Beer distributor, alcohol distributor. Try shortchanging them. See how fast your how fast your beer gets delivered to your store. So why is it different for us? Because there's a lineup of us to get in that back door to play the club. That's the problem. Because there's nothing. We still have to work. So we got to take whatever we get, and it's demeaning, and it defeats the purpose. But we still have to make a living. If that's all that's they're offering. You know how many times I leave a show between you, me, and the wall, and I just go, what just happened? <laughs> Everybody got rich. Everybody, not rich, sorry, I shouldn't say it. Everyone got, everyone did a really good night, and I don't know if I'm going to make my rent tomorrow. You know, like, it's... So what about bringing the union back? If they'll... I mean, artists seem to be working through this on their own. On their own. Rather than we have one hell of a community in Toronto alone or in the GTA. What is wrong with working together? Because everybody Here's says, oh, we have each other's back, but. Because we're not all together. No. Why? I'll tell you why we're not to all be. together. Because and to make that whole thing work, the agents, the bands, and the club owners have to all be in sync. When an agent looks at, or when a, when a, the agent, an agent works for it, or a, he takes a cut, so that's more of a cut he has to take, the owner has to pay. So the problem is, is getting those owners to go, okay, I'll book through you. That's a tough one, right? Because that's more money, whereas, whereas they can book it by themselves and they bypass that 10% or whatever it is that club owner's getting. So. Right. The club owner, well, the club owner should be making money on ticket sales. On ticket sales and booze and, booze and, food. and food. There shouldn't be any other cut. 
theoretically, there shouldn't be. Absolutely. I mean, when Godovitz was playing and Rheingold and all the rest of them at the Gasworks, Gasworks was packed. They had to play those pay those bands a flat rate and some That's of them what I got in the two Gasworks. or three thousand dollars for uh, two or three nights i can remember playing thursday friday uh, thursday friday saturday at the Gasworks. three thousand dollars we got yeah for the three nights you know uh two cases of beer the whole like it was and guys had roadies light men people See, and there's their the equipment. thing it's, it was amazing when anyways the money, i digress on the, when all the of money this, was flowing when the money was flowing it opens up other avenues of business, mm-hmm. roadies, uh, st- stage techs, and all that get to work too, right? And without it, we can't. So maybe it's time to start working together. I think so. Okay, back on track. That because that's always an interesting topic. Um, I just like to know what the thoughts are of people I'm talking to. The sales of musical instruments, particularly in the first six months of the pandemic, went through the roof to the point yes, where. They did. Musicians who were ordering what they needed online couldn't get couldn't it get it because it was going crazy. The other part of it was musicians were i'm um a bass player and but um I learned piano when I was little and that piano's collecting dust in the yeah. corner or the flutes in the back closet. They're starting to pull out instruments ukuleles and banjos have seemed to be a popular one yeah um not accordions though um but Pulling them out and starting to relearn those instruments. And instead of writing a song on the bass, I'm writing it now on the piano. Harmonics are different. Chording's different. Absolutely. The whole feel. Absolutely. So do you think there might be a new renaissance in music coming down the pipe? I would hope so. I would hope so. I think think we are at the time now. Everything is wide open. Not only are we looking for the excitement of live music again – but I think we're now in the position where we're looking for our new, for lack of better words, our new leader, our new hero. Mm-hmm. There's not a new hero out there anymore. You know, what I, well, let me let me give you, like, in the 90s, just before he passed away, it was Stevie Ray Vaughan was, like, the big hero of the time. Eddie just passed away, Eddie Van Halen. I think we're in the, we're, we're in the time where we're now going to see a new player or a new band that's going to change everything. I think it's we're ripe for it. And I think it's time. I think it's time. And it's all got to do specifically directly to this pandemic. I think so. Sure, we're going to see that on a regular basis as time passes. But I think now more than ever, something's going to change. That it's going to be like, and I believe it's it, this was so drastic that it'll be just like the Beatles for a show. That drastic. Something's going to change. An artist is going to show up that's been in the scene and finally something clicked for them. And that's what I'm hoping to see soon with something. It's a, it gives us hope that the music industry and the arts itself, oh my God, is actually moving forward now again. And I believe with a new hero or whatever you want to call it, be it a vocalist, be it a sax player, be it whatever, might be what we need. Something a little kick in the butt to, you know, to get the creative juice flowing. God, that's amazing. Oh my God, I got to try something like that. Suddenly, we're writing again. We're writing out of the box, as you said earlier, yeah, right? Putting your foot more experimentation because you had the whole you had the whole Yorkville scene in the '60s, and the music that flowed out of that affected everything right down to today. Absolutely. So I'm just wondering if we're going to see that turnaround. 
coming out of the pandemic with everybody experimenting again and getting down to, I mean, we're not going to see the Rogers Center packed anytime soon, but hopefully we'll see smaller clubs. You know what I think? And I relate that back to Yorkville. I think we'll see a lot more, more too, of what you said earlier of collaborations. And that's going to be, it's not going to be, I'm not going to be surprised if I'm playing a show and John shows up with his keyboards in the back seat of his car or whoever, right? Somebody shows up um, and you're going to say, hey, Frank, I, my guitar is in the trunk. You mind if I sit in? You know what? Now more than ever, I would say, absolutely, go get your guitar. I need to play with you. Like, seriously, I think we're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see a lot of magic in the clubs of uh, players and bands that would have never gotten together. I really believe that. That would be a wonderful That's thing to exciting see. to me. That's very exciting. Um, you know, the first excitement like that for me was to see uh, uh, to see Pat Rush and... Um, it was me, Pat Rush and Tony Springer, but to see those two on stage together, and then they invited me up to come up. It was this guitar summit we did a few years back. It's it's exciting to see. I, you never saw those two players, at least at that time, together because of the scheduling. But they were together, and it was unbelievable. So I really think we're going to see a really neat mashing of styles and artists getting together. Um, and for what? For the love of playing music together. That's what I think. My introduction, my introduction actually to Tony was him playing acoustic guitar and he was performing with Jeff Jones. No way. Yeah. That's how I met both of them uh, several years ago. Sure. And uh, yeah, I didn't know him from Wild Tea. Um, I had no idea who Jeff was and was working with a friend of mine out in uh, Oakville and he knew both of them and they performed individually and together both on acoustic guitars crazy man it was crazy. it was amazing crazy it was amazing and now they're good friends of mine so oh, they're good people yeah so. they are they're wonderful people so do you think this might be a golden opportunity you've mentioned the whole canadian scene and yes. canadian musicians so do you think this is now a really good opportunity for local artists to shine because we've always had um the whole shop local, eat local, yeah. grow local. Now we've got listen local and get encourage people to to, to get out and seek out um, artists in their own communities. Absolutely, let let alone across the country. Absolutely, and again, if you if there's ever a question on you know what's the talent like in our city, take a walk down your street, man. It's just that simple. Go to any club when things are normal, and you can hear some of the best musicians in the world sitting usually behind a smoke machine and uh you know what i mean like in a really you know uh unprofessional looking way but what's coming out of those speakers is unbelievable to me right so to promote local artists then i think uh shakura yeah. Uh, I talked to her, and she said that she feels that Canada could really bust out of this. We've got so much talent in this country that this is – because everybody's on a level playing field. So you're not seeing the local exactly. international touring artists. So now it's time to focus in our own backyard, really. I believe what's happening now is we once again have come to the Wild West. We have to get out there and do it again. So I think everybody – I think it's the Wild West again where opportunities there. You just got to make it. Right. Good point. Very good point. So do you think the general population, ha is it heightened their awareness and their appreciation for the artists and the music? I think we're starting to see it. And I'm hoping that's exactly what we're seeing here. And it's not just 
I hate to use this analogy, but remember during, for example, during the, the terrible times of 9-11 for about the first six months, it was big news. And then suddenly it kind of drops out of the, I don't want that to happen with us. I want it to, I want people to come like have this big resurgence, this renaissance of going out to the clubs and be to fill in the streets at night and the whole bit. But we should learn a lesson from the past. It's like, let's utilize this time we had to go out to the clubs, support it and have some fun. But if we're going to stay home and complain that there's no, there's no talent out there, then whose fault is it? It's ours. So what have you found to be the most difficult or challenging during the pandemic? Live playing. That muscle has been laying dormant for a year now. So what's the one song that kept you going when you felt like nothing else could? Uh, or that keeps you going? I'll tell you which one. Um, Stevie Wonder, uh, Living for the City. If you listen to the words in that song, I know. like It's like you would expect me to say Jimi Hendrix, sir. But there's the words in Living I for the no City. I have no expectations. If you listen to the words, you'd understand why. It literally speaks about what we're going through. Literally. Isn't when that I, ironic? I've, out of all people, that's the first no, thing that came to head. One, one rock musician I asked, and I said, who would you love to play with? And they said, Joni Mitchell. And I went, okay. Right. Not expecting that either. You know? No, so, mine would whatever. be Robbie Robertson. I would love to play with <laughs> yeah. Robbie Robertson. We'll get to that question. How are you? <laughs> I'm jumping the gun here. How are you moving forward in 2021 and into 2022? Um, I'm about to go into the studio with Derek Downham to record the first two songs that we've been writing together. I basically had all these germs of songs, and after Derek approached me, we've been working together. It's the first time in my career that I have, I've been writing with someone. Hopefully, we're working on strong songs. So my point was, I wasn't in a rush to get to tape. I want to make sure these songs were, so we spent some time. Now, we've got about six or seven songs in the can, and two are ready to push to tape. What's the most, what what have you learned? What's the most impactful thing you have learned in the past year? How serious this thing has become for me more than ever. With clarity came just how much I really dig what I do, like the seriousness of it and all that. Um, when I sit back and think about all the years I've done this, I don't regret a thing. The best life I ever had. Two positives to come out of this, one personally and one professionally. I'm a way better person than I've ever been in my life. Um, professionally, I've become, I'm becoming the player that I want to become. And it all goes directly back to the change of lifestyle. Everything changed for me. Of course, my two most important things, my family and music, changed the most, but everything in life changed for me. If you could choose one artist that you would love to perform with or share a stage with, who would that be? It would have to be Robbie Robertson. I have to play with Robbie. It's just, listen, I read, just make a long story short, I'm a voracious reader. Bios are my thing. And when I read his book, I read it a couple times now. The stories of club life in the 60s when he was with Hawk in southern Ontario were worth the price of admission alone. Some of the clubs they played are still open. I actually played some of them in northern Ontario. It's crazy. Anyway, that interests me. And his book made me realize this guy, there's a reason guys like him and Keith Richards and Slash was another interesting read, are those guys. Because they're very smart men. 
What brings you joy? My kids. Just that simple. Music and my kids, but my kids, that's it. That's. I always jokingly say, you know, yeah, everyone knows me as a guitar player, but never forget, I'm a parent first. That's first and foremost. Guitar playing is just something I do. I happen to love it, but it's something I do. And that's it. Thank you, Frank Cosentino. Thank you, Thank Pat. you, John and John. Cindy at Soundhouse Studio. And that is a wrap. Stay safe, everyone. This interview was recorded at Soundhouse Studio, located on Eastern Avenue in Toronto, Canada. Owned by producer-engineer John Jameson, John is also my co-editor and mixer for all the interviews we record at Soundhouse. He makes us all sound good, and me sound like I know what I'm doing. With respect for the times we live in right now, all appropriate safety measures are taken during any in-person interview recorded at Soundhouse. Many thanks go to Eddie and Quincy Bullen and Paul DeLong for writing and performing the fantastic theme music for the show. And to all of you who have tuned in to listen to what these artists have to say, thank you for taking the time and inviting us into your cars, offices, and homes. I am Pat Blythe. You're listening to Love the Music. Have a great day and a wonderful evening.